0: We all know that the words we choose to describe situations and experiences tell a story about how we see the world. Are you a partly cloudy or partly sunny type of person? Is the glass half empty or half full? The words we use might shift depending on our mood, but most of us have a leaning towards either optimism or pessimism. While I don't want to say that one is better than the other, I'm going to say it anyway. Healthy optimism, combined with a dose of healthy pessimism, or one might call that realism, is worth trying to cultivate and sustain. Our questions this episode, what are some ways we put a negative spin on things, and how does that hold us back? Welcome to episode 16 of How Can I Say This, where we talk about how to find the right words when words escape us. I'm your host, Beth Velo. Thank you so much for spending this time with me. We're going to spend the next 20 minutes or so examining a few ways in which we sabotage our own progress through the words we choose. This content is like coming full circle for me. When I started coaching 10 years ago, my focus was on empowering language, which I called intentional talk. It was about noticing our word choices and being mindful of how even teeny tiny shifts can profoundly influence how we feel about ourselves and how others perceive us. Empowering language has been a prevailing theme for me throughout my coaching career. And with How Can I Say This, there are lots of opportunities to keep that theme alive and evolving. In this episode, we're going to focus on two language habits that send out signals that we might not be aware of, but can have incredibly powerful effects on our relationships to others and to ourselves. (music) Let's start out with actually something that is one of my pet peeves, the constant refrain of busyness that has become a mantra for many leaders, entrepreneurs, and really anyone who wakes up in the morning and has stuff to do. So please don't take this the wrong way, but I don't care how busy you are. I'm busy, you're busy, we are all busy, busy, busy. So why do we always feel it's necessary to broadcast our busyness to the world? let me back up for a moment. Over the past few years, I've noticed that many of us, and that includes me, have a conditioned response to the question, how are you? Or how's your day going? That response is often, I'm so busy, or a variation of that sentiment. I'm swamped, I'm overwhelmed, I have too much to do. And even I'm really tired, of course, because I'm so busy. Not long ago, I had an email exchange with the assistant of an admittedly very busy entrepreneur. Even though she responded yes to my request, which was asking for this person's time, every single email, every single one, reiterated how busy or swamped or maxed out this person was. After the fourth time of receiving a message like this, I actually started talking back to my email inbox. I know. I get it. You're important and busy. And at that moment, I promised myself I would try to never respond to anything with, I'm so busy. It was validating to read about this very point when I picked up a copy of Rory Vaden's recent book, Procrastinate on Purpose, Five Permissions to Multiply Your Time. And I'll be honest, anything that gives me permission to procrastinate is my kind of book. One of the first messages that he shares is that people who are multipliers, and those are high achievers who focus on results, not urgency, never talk about how busy they are. Then Rory implores us to stop talking about it too. Thank you, Rory. Almost no one I know is immune from the conditioned I'm so busy response. I've done it. My husband does it. My friends and colleagues do it. And when I opened up by saying, I don't care, that wasn't meant to be rude. It's that your busyness isn't what I care about when it comes to you. I want to know what you're excited about, challenged by, or curious about. I want to be able to be supportive. And without specifics, that's hard to do. When we say, I'm so busy, we're sending a range of possible messages. One is that I'm so important. Look at how busy I am. Another is, I can't manage my time. Another twist on it is that we might be giving ourselves an out so that when we need to wiggle out of something later, we can always say, I mentioned how busy I was. Rory says that it also means we don't know how to say no. Maybe we keep telling ourselves and others that we're busy as an avoidance technique, and it helps us to justify putting off things that we don't want to do. For introverts, as you've heard me talk about sometimes, um, as that's part of my business, it's a massive energy drain. Being busy is a drain, yes, but repeating the story and letting it become part of our ongoing narrative is giving it more power than it deserves. It reinforces this idea that I'm never going to get it all done. Oh, I'm so tired. I've been so busy. I think it's time for a nap. When you say, I'm so busy... And often it doesn't stop there. It's followed by a laundry list of everything you're busy doing. It's taking up time and energy that could be spent reinforcing what you want to create. If you're an entrepreneur or a leader, it's even more important. You owe it not only to yourself, but to your customers, your clients, your colleagues and friends to cultivate a mindset that reflects your ability to manage yourself, your time and your priorities. Even if you don't feel in control, it's good to practice looking and sounding like you're in control. If we swear off talking about how busy we are, we make space to share things that energize us and the person that we're talking to. Instead of broadcasting an I'm-so-busy message, consider these alternatives. When someone asks you, how are you doing or how's your day going? You can say, I'm doing well. Lots of great things are happening. I'm especially excited about... Or, I'm good. I've been working on some really interesting projects lately. Things are great. I'm grateful for the different clients I'm working with right now. Or, it's a bit challenging right now. There's a product I'm trying to get to market and... Or, there's a lot to juggle right now, but I've got it. Or, I'd love to help you. Can we look at early next month? Another way of saying you're busy without saying I'm busy is... The next time I have available to talk is in two weeks. Does that work for you? Notice one thing about all of these responses. There's no complaining, no self-aggrandizing, and no buzz kills. I found every time I've been tempted to say, I'm so busy, and I've replaced it with a positive, specific response, I have felt lighter. I felt less stressed. It's rewiring my brain away from I'm so busy to I'm in control. This is not about denying the reality of our busy lives. There may be times when we really need to process how busy we are, and that's fine. We need to sort through a pile of priorities with a friend, a coach, or partner. Even when you do that, approach it in the spirit of asking for and receiving support. Frame it in such a way that it invites problem solving, not just venting. Here are a few ways that you can make that shift. First, accept that being busy in other words, having more to do than there are hours in the day for, is a fact of life for everyone. If you're not asleep, you're mentally or physically busy. Second, ask yourself and be honest. What's behind your response of, I'm so busy? Is it venting? Is it a habit? Is it an expression of self-importance or an avoidance technique? It's also useful to consider what kind of response you hope to get from the listener. Are you looking for sympathy? help, admiration, enabling, or just commiseration. Third, and this is really simple, vow to stop saying, I'm so busy. And four, if you do say it, and you will, catch yourself. You can backtrack and say, wait, what I meant to say was, or something to that effect. And five, practice alternative responses that reflect progress that you've made or areas in which you want support. If that isn't appropriate or doesn't feel natural yet, you can simply respond with, I'm doing well. How are you? There's no need to elaborate. The main point is to say almost anything other than I'm so busy. And finally, number six, when someone says I'm so busy to you, you can ask her, well, how can I support you? This introduces the idea of choice into the mix without sounding sanctimonious or making assumptions about what the other person needs or wants. Now, discussion of this topic and all of the related issues of time and energy management, prioritization, self-management, and procrastination could and probably does fill a room full of books. But rather than try to tackle that whole hairy beast at the same time, I invite you to start changing your story by doing this one tiny, very controllable thing. Stop saying, I'm so busy, and start saying and thinking, I've got this because you do. The second point we're going to look at in this episode is very much related, and it's about negative framing. My hope is that this information will give you some increased awareness of where negative framing shows up in your life, and how you can work to turn it around. Let's start out by defining negative framing. This isn't simply about negative self-talk. It's about fear-based behavior, choices, and language that can be obviously fear-based or they might be more subtle. As I mentioned in the intro, negative framing can sound like a glass half-empty or glass half-full perspective, or do you see it as partly cloudy or partly sunny. It also shows up in messages that we see in advertising and especially in politics. For instance, it'll sound like if you do or don't do this particular thing, this bad thing will happen. So there's always this action and then consequence or lack of action and negative consequence. We often will see more people out protesting something than they are speaking out in support of something. We often hear this around election time, whether it's for candidates or ballot initiatives, we'll talk about voting against something as opposed to for something. And often if you look at the language in those ballots, it's often framed in a negative way of something you're voting against. Another way it shows up is that we show that we are more afraid of something bad happening than hopeful of something good happening. And that's like negative motivation. And I'll talk more about that in a second. We also tend to talk more about what we don't want or what we're moving away from than what we do want and what we want to move towards. We'll frame it as what's not working or what isn't going to work rather than what will. I hear this frequently with my coaching clients. I'll ask an affirmative question, but the first thing the person responds with is framed in the negative. Here are some examples of what that sounds like, and I'm guessing you'll hear yourself in this. What do you want to feel? I don't want to feel stressed. What went right? And the response might be, I didn't mess up, or I feel less worried. To the question, who do you want to surround yourself with? Who do you want in your life? Sometimes we respond, I don't want to attract negative people. I don't want to be worried about money. In terms of what do you want to happen, often we'll respond with, What we don't want to happen. I don't want to get fired. I don't want to fail. I don't want to look stupid. Another common question that I ask is, What's important about this? And negative responses can be framed I don't want to get fat. (laughs) I'm afraid of having regrets. My partner will leave me if I don't. This type of response happens even when we're feeling down and trying to boost our own spirits. Who among us hasn't been in a blue mood and thought, Stop feeling sorry for yourself? things aren't as bad as they seem. It could be worse. As I share all of those, you're probably hearing, yes, I say those, you say those, lots of us say those kinds of things every day. And so before going any further with this, I do want to acknowledge the necessary role that seemingly negative perspectives play in our processing of especially challenging situations. A conversation with a friend reminded me of the need sometimes to allow negative framing to be part of our processing. She was expressing frustration that people often ask us to reframe these thoughts when really what she wants to do is just let it be for a while to feel into and dwell in those sadder or bluer or more negative feelings so that she can really feel it and understand it. We sometimes need to sit with it and let it be the first way to get clear with something that's often bothering us. It's easier to talk about what we don't want than what we do, so this part cannot be skipped over. Think about your earliest experiences in the workplace or with dating. It was very much trial and error, learning what we don't want, that led us to realizing what we did want, what did work for us. Without the negative, we would not have found the positive. It's a chance for curiosity. When it's part of a process, You can let the I don't want experiences create clarity in your thinking and lead you towards what you do want. If we try to turn this information around too quickly, we're not honoring our truth. We need to allow these ideas to surface and then decide what we want to do with them and how they serve us. So what's important about making that shift? When we constantly talk about what we don't want, we're giving it a lot of energy and power. The key is not to stay in that place for longer than it serves us. There are multiple ways to approach that turnaround so that you can move from dwelling in negative perspectives to a healthy, grounded, balanced optimism. The first step is awareness. Where does this kind of framing show up for you? Is it primarily framing of everyday events, such as, I don't want stress? Or is it negative motivation, such as, I don't want to get fired, or I don't want to fail? Some people, I would say probably many of us, are motivated by such statements. And it is probably the realization that comes when you reach a tipping point of realizing that something needs to change or else. So that negative motivation can be a powerful catalyst. And it's not necessarily going to sustain you through the change that you seek because it is inherently fear-based. Recognize that there's an underlying fear. That fear might be a failure, falling back into old patterns, being rejected, not being enough or not having enough. Now, look at opportunities to reframe from love. It's not about turning it all around to Pollyanna or let's turn that frown upside down. It's about acknowledging the fear with compassion and grace. You can then start to engage in what I call flip side reframing. Well, if that's what I don't want, what does that mean about what I actually do want? Is it less stress or more peace? My partner not to be mad or my partner to understand how I feel? no negative people? Or is it to attract positive people? Another way of looking at it is intentional reframing. If you find yourself using negative motivation to create action, look at the root of your intention. Are you dieting so as not to get fat? Well, another way to flip that and be intentional is to say, I'm going to eat better to feel healthy. Are you working hard so you won't get fired? Instead, it could be that you're working hard to share your skills to the best of your ability. Saving up your money so that you don't go broke. Save your money to feel empowered and prepared. You ask yourself, how do I want to feel? Use those values and emotions to support how you motivate yourself. Shift your perspective to one of invitation and appreciation. What do you want to invite into your life? What do you want to move towards? What do you want more of that you already have? Spend time in gratitude for what you have and what is to come. And that could be, of course, something that you want. I remember a very powerful story from the Louise Hay documentary, You Can Heal Your Life, about a gentleman who accompanied a Native American elder out into a land that was drought stricken, and it had been for months. And he imagined that the elder was going to pray for rain. And instead, what the elder did was he prayed for the rain that had already been and the rain that was to come. So it was all about gratitude for what had been and what is to come. And that is acknowledging abundance and it's acknowledging and showing gratitude for what has been and what will be, as opposed to, we don't have any rain, please bring us some. You recognize in the course of all of this, especially when you show gratitude, that whatever it is that you want, whether it's health or love or the ideal job, a home, financial security, friends or family, it's all there waiting for you. The call to action for this episode is simple. First, vow to eliminate the phrase, I'm so busy, and all of its variations from your list of knee-jerk responses to someone's, how are you? Yes, it is true that you might be busy. If that is true, and it's relevant to the conversation, it's okay to acknowledge it. And how can you reframe that so that it's specific and invites conversation and perhaps even support from the other person? Second, Notice how you respond to stressful or challenging situations. Do you tend to put a negative or a positive spin on things? What's your default? Again, it's not a bad thing to be a glass half empty kind of person. The point is to notice if that perspective is based in fear, as opposed to being simply realistic. A half empty glass is a terrific place to gather information and to use as a springboard towards a more love based approach. In the coming months, I'll be offering more insights and tips on how to be more intentional with your language. It's all in the spirit of you feeling more confident in conversations and giving you more tools for your how can I say this moments. And remember, you'll find links to resources I reference in this episode on the podcast website at howcanisaythis.com. While I have you here, I would love to ask you for a favor. Can you take just two or three minutes this week and let me and other listeners know what you think of this podcast by sharing it, by leaving a rating, or writing a review? You can find links that tell you how to subscribe and leave a review in the footer of any page at howcanisaythis.com. I also welcome your feedback and questions through the contact form on the website. I'd appreciate hearing from you about what you think of this podcast and what you'd like to see talked about in future episodes. Part of the format of this podcast is occasionally including listener questions that I and my guests respond to. These are often communication conundrums where you can say, how can I say this, you know? And I'm wondering, do you have a communication conundrum that you would like to share? I welcome your questions for inclusion in a future episode. You'll find the online submission form at howcanisaythis.com. You can also leave a text or voicemail 24-7 at Five six two seven zero four six six four three. You'll find that number on the submit a question page on the website. And finally, you can send me your question directly at Beth at com. And as always, no matter how you submit the question, you have the choice to be completely anonymous if you like. Mm-hmm. This is Beth Below, and you've been listening to How Can I Say This? Our podcast producer is Paul Messing, and our theme music is by Brett Anderson. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I invite you to take what you've learned here and use it to speak up, speak out, and speak courageously.